This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Hello and welcome to this Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Today we're going to be talking about data protection and the SREMS 2 judgment, which was delivered by the Court of Justice of the EU on 16th of July. I'm Chris Ingram. I'm a senior associate in our technology and commercial contracts team. And I'm joined today by Johnny McDonald and Olivia Crane from our data team. So to kick off, perhaps you could just introduce yourselves. Thanks, Chris. Johnny McDonald here. I'm a partner in the commercial team at Charles Russell Speechley, where I head up the data protection and privacy practice. Hi, everyone. I'm Olivia Crane. I'm an associate at our commercial team, and I work very closely in the data protection and privacy team. Great. Thank you both. So just to provide some context for the case, and I know a lot of listeners will probably be familiar already with GDPR and the rules on transferring data outside the EU. But just quickly, for the benefit of those who aren't, Johnny, could you just explain how the rules work and why this case is significant for them? Yeah, great. Thanks, Chris. So to deal with this very briefly, as you say, I think hopefully many of our listeners will be familiar with this with these general rules. Under the GDPR, and this was the case before the GDPR came into force under the old regime, it's been like this for a while, there's a general prohibition on transferring data outside the European Union, or to be more precise, the EEA. And the idea behind that is, is fairly sound. The legislators point, you know, it's not worth having all these sophisticated data protection rules and measures. You can simply undermine those by transferring the data overseas. So that's the general rule. Now, there's an exemption, which is pretty much at state level or EU level, which says that if the European Commission has determined that a, a country outside of Europe is adequate, then there's no further measures in place. You can treat that country as if it was within Europe as far as data goes. Essentially, they whitelist the country. And there's a small and eclectic list of countries who are being whitelisted, of which the US is not one of them. If there isn't an adequacy decision in place, if your country hasn't been whitelisted, as an individual organisation, as a data controller, you can put your own safeguards in place and they require a bit of action on your part. So in the US, to take that, as specifically as the point that there was something called privacy shield, which was a bit of a kind of a quasi position between the two, whereby you could declare to the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and adhere to the privacy shield rules. And this was a state level program. And if a, if a US business does that, then as a EU business, you can transfer data to them. So that's one. And this, this case was really key for that, which I think Olivia is going to come on to. And then another transfer mechanism, which is very popular, it's called the standard contractual clauses. And these are essentially their contractual solution. So what happens is if you are a, a data exporter, an EU business, transferring data outside of Europe, you enter into a contract with someone in the US as a data importer. And this contract says the data importer will do certain things, adhere to certain privacy principles that kind of reflect what the EU GDPR does. Um, and this, this mechanism it gives a third party rights. So if you're an individual, these data is being transferred and you agree by what's happening, you can take measures against one of those properties. Thanks, Johnny. That's some, some really helpful scene setting. So moving on to the judgment itself, it's been described by, by quite a few people as quite unexpected. Perhaps if we move on to Olivia here, can you just tell us what the case was about? Perhaps talk us through what the court actually said and, and why this might have come as a surprise? Yeah, absolutely. So just to start with that background, the case was brought by a man called Max Schrems, who's a privacy advocate, and he brought a claim against or a complaint against Facebook for transferring his personal data to the US, which he claims was illegal under these two transfer mechanisms that Johnny mentioned. 
stating that essentially the U.S. doesn't provide sufficient protections against the use and the access to his personal data once it leaves the EU and goes into the U.S. So his claim and, and the, the sort of premise of this case is that the transfer mechanisms don't provide him sufficient protections and don't allow him to exercise his protections within the EU laws. So what we've had here is a bit of a saga case. This case was actually brought initially in 2015, which was known as the Schrems 1 judgment or Schrems 1 case, which was brought in the Court of Justice of the European Union, same court that heard Schrems 2. But while it was the same fact pattern, it was challenging the safe harbour framework as the transfer mechanism between the EU and the US. This case in 2015 found that that safe harbour mechanism or that safe harbour framework was invalid. Now, resulting from that case, the privacy shield was created, which is the transfer mechanism that we discussed or Johnny mentioned earlier. So fast forward to today and the court has looked at the judgment this time where Schrems has brought a claim suggesting that the standard contract clauses that Johnny mentioned and also the privacy shield are invalid mechanisms of transfer because they don't provide individuals with sufficient security once their personal data is transferred to the U.S. So the court here, which was a surprising decision and I think does have some very significant impacts on businesses who operate between the EU and the US, found that first, the privacy shield, which that Johnny just mentioned, is invalid. Now, the reasoning for this, the court looked at the US domestic law and essentially said that in US domestic law, public authorities are able to access personal data of EU citizens once it enters the US. They're particularly talking about sort of national security reasons and, and laws that cover those sort of areas. And essentially, the individual is not sufficiently protected by given that those domestic laws can access that personal data. The court found, therefore, that the privacy shield didn't allow individuals or EU citizens the correct protections and that their fundamental rights provided under EU law were not protected. Therefore, now businesses are no longer able to transfer their personal data under the privacy shield. This was obviously a very big surprise to people. The advocate general had provided an opinion at the end of last year about this case. And it suggested that the privacy shield, while problematic, was fundamentally sound. And the European Commission has said similar responses to the privacy shield. So it being found invalid was certainly surprising for a number of individuals and businesses. The second point that came out of this judgment was around the contract clauses. So the standard contract clauses were also looked at. And in this case, they were found to be valid with a large sort of question mark over them and a few a few clouds of uncertainty. So while businesses can still rely on and use the standard contractual clauses to transfer personal data, they're actually only effective where in practice, the data exporter and the data importer can ensure that the protections allowed by these provisions can actually be upheld and allowed under the national law of the country where the information is being processed. So essentially, Businesses are now under an additional safeguard to review the national laws of the country in which the personal data is being transferred to ensure that these protections can practically be implemented. So these standard contract clauses can no longer be used as kind of a rubber stamp to transfer personal data. There now has to be an assessment made to actually ensure they can be practically implemented. Thanks, Olivia. So if you were relying on Privacy Shield before, you can no longer do that. We now need to be looking at the local law protections who are using the model clauses. Johnny, what are the, the other implications? What are you saying to clients about this? A model clause is still OK? Chris, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? That's, that's what every client's asking uh, their privacy lawyers at the moment. And it's a really good point. So, yeah, as you say, if you're, the obvious fallout is if you were relying on Privacy Shield previously, that no longer applies. You're going to have to reconsider what you were doing. And just a quick point on that, because there's, there's some interesting guidance on this before we move on to kind of immediately question about the standard contractual clauses and, and the kind of the, the next step, really. So 
the last time this happened, you know, as Olivia alluded to, we had something similar in the Shrems 1 judgment when, when Safe Harbour was invalidated. And what happened then was there was a moratorium, basically, on regulatory action. So the regulatory authorities basically decided you had at the time to think about what you were going to be doing because this was a fairly drastic step. Now, at the moment, if you're looking at this from a UK perspective, the UK ICO has released a statement that says, if you're currently using Privacy Shield, please continue to do so until new guidance becomes available. So essentially, they're saying, look, we get the fact that there's no need for a knee jerk reaction here. We're, we're going to have to think about the implications of this. Now, we've also now pretty much hot off the press because this only came out on last Thursday, on the 23rd of July. We've had European Data Protection Board guidance, so EDPB guidance, that makes clear there is no moratorium the expectations that businesses are going to have to react quickly. So what does that mean? Well, it means the ICO at the moment is saying, look, we're not going to take any action against you. At the moment, you're OK. But as soon as that position changes, businesses are likely to have to deal with that fairly quickly. So you're going to have to be fairly agile. Now, to your questions, OK, are standard contractual clauses still OK? Well, there's a couple of different interpretations for this. The European Commission were quick to come out and say, yes, you know, the courts have said standard contractual clauses are still adequate for transfers to the US. They are OK. However, others, and, and certainly when you drill down into the, into the judgment, that clearly isn't going to be in the way they have been used previously. So what we're saying to clients is you just need to understand what your risk is in the short term. You need to be undertaking some due diligence here. You need to be able to identify those data transfers to the US and potentially elsewhere as well. But in the case of the US, we're relying on Privacy Shield or are relying on model clauses more generally. You need to have a look at what risk those transfers create to you in light of this judgment. And, and then also in, in, in that as well, in assessing that risk, you want to be thinking about who your counterparty is to the person you're transferring. We've talked about this between Olivia and I, and we've made this point in lots of the commentary we provided on the GDPR and all this kind of thing when people were talking about bringing into data protection agreements when the GDPR entered into force in 2018. But there's no point in, in expecting to be able to kind of influence what a huge one-to-many service provider on the other side of the Atlantic is going to be doing. So if you are dealing with one of the hyperscale cloud service providers, for example, just wait and see what they're going to do. So once you work out what that risk is, then really you, you need a strategy to deal with how you're going to address these criticisms about the model clauses, how you're going to put in place these supplementary measures that the courts talked about, which Olivia mentioned. Essentially, those supplementary measures can probably fall into, into three broad buckets. So one is going to be due diligence. One is going to be the extra steps you can undertake to demonstrate that whoever you're importing the data to can comply with the law, which probably a third degree of lip service has been paid to previously. Maybe technical things you can do. So if essentially the data is fully encrypted in the hands of the person you're transferring it to, well, arguably law enforcement services may not be able to access it anyway, so you know, that, that could help. And then thirdly, there's contractual measures you can be taking as well. So you can be asking the data importer to do extra things that you may not have done already. And have a think about what your kind of your audit rights look like, what kind of thing you are asking them to do if they find themselves on receiving a, a law enforcement request for data. Are they just going to comply? Are they going to make sure they test that? Do they make sure they're actually legally obliged to, as opposed to this is just something which law, law enforcement has said, hey, this will be helpful. So those are the kind of measures that they want to be thinking about. And then also just looking closely and seeing what the regulator is going to be doing and to be watching their actions very closely too.
And have we heard any update on when we think the ICO might say something else? Um, maybe, Olivia, if you could take this one. Have there been any other regulator responses or any other reactions from the US? Yeah, absolutely. As Johnny says, it's going to be one of those ongoing developments and watch this space situations. I mean, essentially coming up with supplementary measures. Every regulator, so the ICO, the UK regulator, as well as in the US and as well as the European Commission have said, we're just assessing what these supplementary measures could be. And all the ones Johnny mentioned are being sort of considered at this stage, but there's no express guidance right now as to what that should look like. I think one interesting, as Johnny mentioned, the European Data Protection Board have just come out with um, some detailed sort of Q&As on, on what businesses should be considering given the, the results of the judgment and how to implement what has been suggested. And one that was suggested was all transfer mechanisms under Article 46 should be considered in light of this new consideration that essentially any transfer has to ensure essentially equivalent data protection laws. And in that state, many businesses should be considering when you're transferring your information on what basis. And if you're not relying on the privacy shield or the standard contractual clauses, you may still need to consider these supplementary measures and ensure that your transfer mechanisms actually protect that data in practice when you transfer it to the third country. So it certainly does have um, wider implications as well. I think one point to note on the point around having a grace period of when this will be implemented, as Johnny mentioned, regulators have sort of said a different thing. So while the ICO has said, we understand that if you're on the privacy shield right now, don't worry, we'll wait until we have further guidance. You can sort of stay on that, but obviously don't enter into it now. In the US, we've seen that they've said, look, we're disappointed with the judgment, but in terms of the privacy shield, we're going to continue to implement this process and to run the lists of who is certified by the privacy shield to ensure continuity. And of course, that's going to come with ongoing guidance following their review of the judgments. Whereas in the EU, they have sort of said, look, it's no longer valid. Find an alternative transfer mechanism and consider what information you are transferring and what and what its protections are. And part of that as well comes with the fact that there is a clear obligation out of the judgment to suspend transfers if they are not sufficiently protected. So if you're an exporter out of the EU or an importer in a third country or in this case the US, you have an obligation to reflect on those transfers and to assess them and to ensure that they are essentially equivalent. And where they're not, you need to suspend that transfer of personal data. So businesses should be thinking about that as well. Do you think we're going to, going to see a replacement for privacy shield, so privacy shield mark two or something else, a new transfer mechanism people can rely on? Yeah, um, that's a good question, Chris. So unexpectedly, there are being calls on both sides of the, of the Atlantic in many commentators saying, look, OK, this has happened. It's a headache. Well, the authorities now need to get together and resolve this. I don't think that the key problem to this issue is going to be resolved anytime soon. And that's the fact that the EU in particular, which is the Court of Justice, they're, they're just not really happy with the way national security laws in the US work. There's lack of right to redress, the fact that they felt that some of these laws were a bit overreaching. So that, that's the fundamental problem. And, and essentially, we're not going to see the US change their national security laws because of EU data protection law. It's certainly not in a hurry anyway. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to see any easy solution anytime soon. Privacy Shield Mark 2, not in the short to medium term. Johnny, you mentioned that some are seeing this as a bit of a headache. What's the sort of general reaction from practitioners? Is this being seen as a useful judgment by practitioners because it's a way of making sure that people's data is protected? Or is it really just a, a headache all around when, at a time when businesses don't really need this extra sort of burden? Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a really good question, actually. And once again, it hugely depends on, on which side of the argument you come at this from. 
So I am sure Mr. Schrems and the other privacy activists see this as a, as a, a momentous occasion. In fact, Mark Schrems has said as much and thinks this is great. And, he, you know, he's, he's, he's got a point. Essentially, the foundations of privacy shield have been shown not to be quite as sound as they were. But it, it's a huge headache. And it's a huge headache, as you say, for businesses on top of lots of other issues that they're dealing with at the moment. And it is a huge headache that will disproportionately affect SMEs and slightly smaller businesses. And I say that because, you know, if you're a huge multinational, it's, it's trying to say you've got the resources to deal with any of these kind of legal challenges. But looking at this more specifically, if you're a huge multinational, you probably have multiple transfer mechanisms in place. And we're talking about privacy shield, we're talking about standard contractual clauses. There are others as well, some of which are really only viable if you are a big business, things like binding corporate rules. So they, they won't be impacted so much. It's going to be the SMEs that are particularly hard hit. And within that, if you look at SMEs, there'll be those who have no option but to, to sort this out in the fairly short term, because they'll do their due diligence that we just looked at and they will identify risks, areas where perhaps the counterparty to their contract that may be looking at some kind of way to engineer a way out of the contract, reasons where the, the nature of the data that's being transferred, individuals may take this opportunity to have a go at them. That'll be those who, for the time being, just don't do anything at all. They will just try and sit below the radar. Long term, it's going to affect both groups, though. In terms of we, it's, we always say about data protection compliance, that you need to take a risk-based approach. You need to assess the risk. It's not just a case of ticking every box, and otherwise you spend your whole budget on compliance and not spend any time or money actually doing things that your business needs to do. But that said, not complying with the law is, is never an option. So it is going to impact a lot of smaller businesses. Johnny, what's the fallout if businesses get this wrong? I mean, are we talking fines? Were we concerned about claims from individuals whose data isn't protected properly? What's what's the outcome of, of not following the rules here? Yeah, that's a really good question. So in the short term, are we likely to see fines off the back of this? I don't really see that happening unless there is something else underlying that's a regulator that doesn't like about what you're doing. I can't see the ICO that jumping up and down and finding people because they've not adequately put their model clauses in place. In relation to, to action from individuals, yeah, maybe. You know, we, we've talked about it in the past, the fact that individuals have obviously a right to compensation for material or, or non-material damage under the GDPR. So, so maybe that is something else that you could throw into a claim, probably piggybacking off something else. But if, for example, you are you're an employee, a disgruntled employee, and you brought an employment tribunal claim against somebody, well, maybe this is something else that you could add in there. And by the way, that my employee was infringing data protection and therefore my privacy rights as well. So maybe that's that's a long, slightly kind of more medium to longer term action. I think ultimately with data protection, as, as I said, not complying is never an option because at some point you will be found out there will be something that will mean you get some attention, some unwelcome attention from the regulator, whoever that may be. And if at that point, when they start to look at what you've done, if you haven't done anything and you don't intend to do anything and you've built a, a business model that relies on you infringing the law, well, that's not going to be a long-term option. You will have to sort something out then. So businesses do need to take this thing seriously now. Can I just jump in on that, Johnny? Sorry, Chris. Okay, go for it. In terms of individuals bringing claims against companies, we've certainly seen that over the last few years and with the growth of GDPR, people are a lot more aware of their rights and their, their rights to their personal data and the protections that they're entitled to, as the Schrems case shows. And so I think businesses do need to consider 
the fact that they're no longer working with an audience who, you know, it's an abstract law that no one knows about. Individuals do tend to know more and more these days that they're entitled to subject access requests or they're entitled to their information if it's transferred overseas to know about that and to be informed of that. So I do think businesses should take that seriously. And going back to Johnny's point, you may see a disproportionate effect on smaller businesses because they won't have the resources to deal with this, yet they have the same client base, which is consumers and individuals who expect their data to be treated safely and to transfer in a secure manner. And so I do think we'll see, not necessarily an increase, but at least a, a growing awareness from individuals about their certain rights. Thanks, Olivia. So important to get it right and, and to do this properly. We're almost out of time now, but just one final question. This is obviously an EU judgment. We've talked a lot about the EU. How does Brexit play into, into all of this? What impact will Brexit have? Yeah, I think there are sort of two interesting things I'd, I'd want to talk about when, in regards to Brexit. So as we know, Brexit is is coming um, on the 1st of January 2021. The UK will no longer be part of the EU. So while this judgment does affect EU law from the 1st of January, the UK will be governed by the Data Protection Act 2018, which is an applied version of the GDPR. So from that time on, the UK could foreseeably or potentially move away or slightly interpret differently from the EU's GDPR and the way that it is enforced. So an interesting point in that is right now, the UK are trying to get an adequacy decision from the EU, which Johnny mentioned at the beginning, means that personal data could easily flow between the EU and the UK and businesses won't be disrupted. So the UK very desperately right now is looking to find and and to successfully achieve an adequacy decision from the EU. What this judgment has shown is that the EU's privacy threshold is very high. They're not going to settle for insufficient protection or for any kind of regulation that is not essentially equivalent to what the EU has and the way the EU enforces privacy rights for individuals. So I think it'll be very interesting to see whether the UK can successfully achieve their adequacy decision, given the EU has shown its hand in that privacy will be taken very seriously and that decision may be more difficult to achieve. And I think on a similar note to that, the second point would be the EU's position with the US after it leaves the EU. I mean, the UK wants to establish a relationship with the US and to continue trading with businesses in the US and may be tempted to lower its privacy standards to try and meet the US and to be able to continue business across the Atlantic. So I think if that happens and the UK decides for some reason to allow transfers to the US, it's quite difficult to see the EU ignoring that and saying, no problem, we can transfer our personal data to the UK. But the UK then happily passes that on to the US despite this judgment. So I think it will be a very difficult sort of geopolitical conversation or consideration for regulators and also for privacy experts to consider is that as Brexit arises, what will the UK do and how will the UK ensure that it can still transfer personal data between the EU and the UK and also the UK to the US? Thanks, Olivia. Um, Thank you both. I think we'll, we'll need to wrap things up there. That's been really helpful. Some really good practical steps to be taking and obviously an area in which is very, very important to to keep up to date on developments. Just one final thing to note. So Johnny and Olivia have published a very helpful article, which is up on our website. Uh, But if you have got any further questions or you'd like to discuss anything, then please do get in touch. Thank you. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. 